My number one album. Big shocker to me. Also folklore. Whoa. Are you ready to dive into all things Taylor Swift? Good for a Weekend is the ultimate podcast for any Swiftie. With new episodes dropping bi-monthly, as well as bonus episodes to give you real-time reactions to the latest rumors and news, it's your one-stop shop for all things T-Swift. We also love connecting with our fellow Weekenders, so be sure to connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, and or Discord to share all your Taylor thoughts. Good for a Weekend is available wherever you get your podcasts. I know. Well, just is that. Like, it's a perfect album. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Spark Parade, a show where I talk to amazing people about the art and culture that's shaped their lives. I'm Adam Unz. Thanks a whole bunch for joining me. Coming up a little later on is my chat with singer-songwriter Paul Mosley about his love for singer-songwriter Mary Margaret O'Hara. Do I feel left out being the only non-singer-songwriter in this equation? No. No, I do not. It is an absolutely lovely chat, and Paul is an absolutely lovely guy, and you're going to have an absolutely lovely time listening to it. Guaranteed. As I mentioned to Paul, it was really great to chat about an artist who I'd never heard of before. I love discovering new art and artists, and that's one of the reasons why I love doing this show. Paul and I also chat a little bit about the antiquated practice of finding music by digging through crates in record stores. And that's the kind of discovery that I used to enjoy the most. I whine a lot about missing certain elements of the pre-internet age, but the loss of so many brick-and-mortar stores has been a big blow for me when it's come to discovering new art organically. There isn't anything online that replicates for me the feeling of browsing through a record store or a bookshop or any other kind of shop that supplies art. Part of it is definitely that I'm old and set in my ways, but I also think there's real value in stumbling across new artworks and artists without an algorithm trying to predict what you might be into. Discovery aided by algorithms can provide some real gems, but it generally limits you to suggestions based on what it already knows about your taste. My tastes are pretty broad, and they change a lot, and I want to keep my options completely open. And I love discovering great stuff that's completely outside of my experience. The way that I've had the most success with being surprised by art is by combing through shelves and stacks in physical shops, or through word of mouth from friends and acquaintances. Organic discovery has also always made it easier for me to delude myself into thinking that I'm onto something that nobody else knows about. If I find it on Spotify, I assume that they're flogging it to millions of other people. But if I find it in a dusty basement buried under a stack of suitcases, or whatever. I don't think I've ever actually found anything under a stack of old suitcases, but I'm painting a mental picture for you, okay? If I find something while I'm digging through crates, let's say, it makes it easier for me to pretend that it's my secret special discovery and that I'm part of this select group of cool people who knows about it. I've always enjoyed being able to feel ownership over the art that I love, but I also love teaching people about the art I've discovered, feeling like I've done some work to discover new stuff, and having the chance to share that knowledge with other people is one of the greatest things about engaging with art to me. I'm sure that feeling is still possible in the digital age, but it feels colder and less exciting to me. 
So I guess what I'm saying is that we should all throw our phones and computers in the river. Sound like a plan? Great. Let's do it. Just kidding. You need your phone and or computer to listen to the rest of this episode. Smooth transition alert. Here comes my interview with Paul Mosley about Mary Margaret O'Hara. So, Mary Margaret O'Hara. Uh, yes. The standard question that I start out with every time is, do you remember where you found out about her, where you first heard her music? I do, very much so, because I bought the album on vinyl in a second-hand shop for one ninety nine, not knowing what it was. I just liked the cover. It was a beautiful-looking, painterly graphic cover that she'd done herself, it turned out. Um, and the ti- and the song titles, I'm just like, like the sound of it. It's like, this sounds like something I'd like, purely based on, on guessing. So I hadn't heard of her. It was a, probably about 1989, I'm guessing, because it wasn't when it was brand new. Mm-hmm. So I hadn't seen her in music papers and stuff, and I didn't know what I was getting. So I took it home, and it it was, I don't remember if it was like a jaw-dropping, oh, wow, this is the thing moment. But I do remember that, like, within a week, I just listened to nothing else all the time. That was what I listened to mm-hmm. constantly and on a loop. And it stayed that way for about two years. I think it just became obsessed with yeah. this record. Uh, and so when it was a chance to talk about something, it's like, it's got to be that really. Although it's quite a long time ago and I've, I like lots of other things. That's the thing that definitely has defined my obsession with music probably. Yeah. I, I wonder if that happens as much anymore because I, I definitely had that feeling going into record shops where it would sometimes just total like random aesthetics would be the thing that would draw me to like the album cover or um, like you said, the track listing, something else that had, you know, was only peripherally, you know, it's not the music itself. And I don't really know anything about the artist or whatever, but it's just like, oh, somebody who has good taste in like the imagery that they want to use for their music (laughs) must have good taste in music as well. It might must write good songs. Um, But yeah. The world is not right. (laughs) Yeah. But I wonder if people, if that happens as much with streaming that people, you know, I think when people find things, I I bitch about this constantly, you know, (laughs) that like algorithms dictating taste now, but um, I don't know if there's as much room for people to just, spontaneously come across things like that so that that is a um a magic that i relate to yeah <laughs> good no and i do think that was it was part of that time as well that era was full of that for me anyway mm. that was how i discovered music when i think about how my parents heard music the first time they were pretty much told what to like like here's the hot new band that you everyone likes now mm. and they was excited about the thing that was very much everyone's thing and this the whole point of that sort of scurrying through racks in record shops and finding hidden gems was all about the secrecy and the privateness and the personalness of it and going this is my thing this is my special connection with this thing mm-hmm. i think was a big part of it for me anyway yeah did you say was this like a, a used record shop or was it something it that was you new it yeah, was, yeah 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 and it was second hand as well so it was even so it could have been from any any time i don't think when i picked it up i knew it was quite then quite recent i think i could have been from any era yeah which and, i quite liked about it too yeah and that adds this extra layer of like secret specialness that it's not something <laughs> yeah. that's like on a display of a bunch of new albums it's like no i dug through crates and i found yeah. this and no one else knows <laughs> absolutely not you laura Branigan. back in the yes. bin <laughs> yes yes <laughs> I think it was Laura Bannigan next to us, you remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so just like have yeah, having that secret special moment of discovery and then taking it home and being like, holy shit, I actually have found something really amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and I mean, do you know the album? Well, Miss America is the album that's her only real album. Yeah. Do you know it yourself? I, I I don't. I mean, I know it from listening oh, okay. to it, kind of in preparation for this. But um, ah, yeah. great. So it's it has aged. Of course, it has. It was a long time ago, and it was recorded most of it in 1984, I believe. Um, so it's some of it is of the time. There's some bits of the drum sounds and stuff, and some of the choices of synth sounds because the synths are quite. There's one track in particular that's really synthastic. And it's like, yeah, that's of the time. But the vocal performance in particular is just so arresting and so unique, and that's so timeless. It's very kind of what's the word? It's evocative of itself it, it evokes something and you don't know what it is you know what i mean mm. it does, doesn't like uh, doesn't remind me of anything it just is immediately very meaningful sound and that's about as pretentious as i get because i was <laughs> yeah. but it's true like as, as a as a young person then listening to mostly pop and indie pop and kind of still relatively mainstream music this was different in a way that i hadn't heard before it wasn't weird it wasn't like psychedelic it wasn't super noisy or difficult to listen to it's very beautiful but it was just different from everything else and i think that was probably the most striking thing about it so like from the very first opening song it's called to cry about it's just all focused on her, her voice and a couple of held chords on a, on a guitar it's like oh I'm listening. I'm really listening. I'm really listening to this, mm. or, or and I and I can't not really listen to this. And if it comes on, I have to stop what I'm doing, and listen to it because I can't just. It's never background music. You know, it's never going to be just down the pub sing along. It's not Oasis yeah, <laughs> by yeah. the longest of chalks. Um, and I think that's what really struck me when I yeah when I first listened to it and what made me go oh wow this is a thing it was just the fact that I, I I couldn't stop really listening, properly listening. Yeah, um, I would say. Weird might not be the right word, but unusual, definitely. Like the, yeah. it's such a variety of genres and sounds, and it's the way she uses her voice. She has a beautiful yeah. voice, but she also yeah, allows she it to sound like tougher at times, and um, oh. just to make you know make sounds instead of singing lyrics sometimes, and. Yeah, just the the range of artists that kind of ran through my head listening to her music. But it's like, you know, some of it's quite folky and some of it's a, a bit like PJ Harvey or something like that. Like, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, she's uh, in there. <laughs> but yeah, it's like this range from someone, you know, softer and sweeter like Joni Mitchell to yeah. really tougher, less uh, overtly melodic uh, artists like PJ Harvey, so or at least that's and PJ also, Harvey back in the day. She sings, she sings quite yeah. uh, soft, pretty songs now. So. That's that is true, but also some quite absolute avant-garde stuff like Yoko Ono, even right in that yeah. kind of the yelping and hiccuping and kind of gulping and stuff. I hadn't really ever heard that before at all at that point. So having then later on being told that that's a bit like Meredith Monk or Yoko Ono, those things were like, oh, this is just someone they're only hiccuping and yelping. Where's the song? <laughs> like right, I didn't get right. it at all. It was like, no, Mary Margaret has these beautiful songs and sings them beautifully. These people are just farting into a microphone. That's right. rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, it's not rubbish, and I've learned to understand that better since. But to, to my ears, it was like, no, that's nonsense. Nothing like what she's doing. She's genius. They're rubbish. <laughs> I'm still quite yeah. protective. Yeah. <laughs> From the get go, you obviously don't understand the thing the way I understand all that sort of thing. <laughs> yes. But who yeah. else do you think she sounded a bit like? Who else did you hear? I'd be intrigued to know. There's something about the phrasing that she uses and a little bit the tone of her voice. I think she has a, a stronger, clearer voice, but a little bit Chrissy Hind. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, really just, you know, like floods of <laughs> of, uh, <laughs> of singers, like in any woman that I can think of, basically. You know, she is, um, she's every woman. Like Shaka Khan, she's every woman. Really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, I mean, I, I was uh, read a review that 
uh, was published of Miss America, but only a couple of years ago, um, oh. and just kind of referencing it as this not necessarily lost gem, but as something that was like mm. this kind of, uh, there was a cult around it. And yeah. saying that even music like Hole, like Courtney Love, th- that mm. kind of stuff, that it's far removed from the way that Mary Margaret O'Hara sings, but you can mm. still see a through line. And yeah. this person was saying like, these these artists that I'm thinking of who feel mm. like they could have been influenced by her may not have ever heard this album, but um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but you can still see this through line to other people through her music and just hear like, you know, her contemporaries as well. Um, that there's a, this really interesting mix of sounds that doesn't sound like she's copying anybody or trying to, um, no. you know, be any anything besides herself. It, it is, it's, it's exactly it. It's like she is very much herself. And if you ever see it interviewed, it is interesting and quite funny. She's very self-deprecating. She's very embarrassed to be there. So she sort of makes jokes all the time, can't stop interjecting, can't stop talking, a bit like the way she sings. And she's sort of adorable and sort of annoying <laughs> when you see her talking. <laughs> Um, and I think she'd probably accept that herself as well because she's quite hyper she just she clearly finds the whole thing mortifyingly embarrassing being interviewed and stuff so she doesn't really know what to do with herself so she's quite awkward and clumsy and then when she does that in the music it just it's all part of her musicality everything about her is just her it's massively just this is what she's like and I think most singer-songwriters type musicians think that's what we're doing we think we're being ourselves writ large in the way we do our music like you know we're not jazzers or blues players who are steeped in the history we're going this is me very much me 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 and it's it's a valid genre trope you know to sing about to put you like like pj harvey does like put herself in her music very much and that's very much how she is but mary margaret i think is just such an excellent version of it she's such she's, she's the real deal she's she's got that nailed you know she is making the music that is unique to her i think she's she's really got it like she, the rest of it are kind of walking around the edges hoping to achieve it and i think she's sort of almost effortlessly gone yep this is me <laughs> Yeah, but it's amazing just, uh, you know, knowing the history of the creation of that album and how tortured it was and how long it took to come out that she is really self-assured. She really understands herself, but it wasn't clear that anybody else she was working with really understood her. Um, uh No, it's true. If anyone wants to look at the Wikipedia page, it it goes into it a little bit briefly. I I also had a little look before we talked to remind myself of the story. And there's quite a bit in there about like, I think Joe Boyd, who is sort of classic Island Records folky producer who did everyone like Nick Drake and Purple Convention and stuff. He started the first recordings in 1984, I believe, and then nothing really happened with them. And then um, Michael Brook, who's like an inventor of a guitar, he's a brilliant guitarist, uh, he tried to, I think he rescued them from Andrew Partridge from XCC, who tried to do them and just walked out after a day, couldn't deal with her and her <laughs> idiosyncrasies. And it was it's kind of been this big five-year process with three different quite strong will producers telling her what to do and her going, no, <laughs> and then mm. making what was ultimately a record that sounds probably like she wanted it to sound all along. She's a hell of an achievement, really. <laughs> yeah, I read um, an interview with her where she was saying that some, can't remember uh, who, who it was, some record executive um, or, or somebody who worked for the label saying that one of her songs made him feel like physically ill and the interviewer (laughs) the interviewer was like oh like because it was so emotional or and she's like no like it made him want to start off and that's part of the reason why it took so long for the album to come out Uh, yeah love your voice your songs like want to throw up excellent yeah (laughs) um 
But yeah, just (laughs) amazing that she was self-assured enough to just stick to her guns and say, fuck you this is this is who i am this is the music i want to make and um this is what the album's going to be so if it's ever going to come out it's going to be what i want it to be Um, yeah and it may be why she never did the one really because it wasn't a great experience for her and she is quite a tangled up person in some ways i think i get the impression i don't know her but i get the impression she's got uh, a busy mind Mm -hmm. and so processes like that will probably take it out and just think you know what i don't need to do that so she didn't and i think that's huge respect for that as well again just being very much yourself and thinking, do I have to? Nope, then I won't. <laughs> yeah, but also, which is a great way to look at it. Yeah, but ha- having that one experience that was this tortured, um, you know, not very pleasant experience of recording an album mm. and only recording the one album and still having this legacy where she's influenced yeah. so many people and so many people think of her as a genius and you know having like michael stipe and morrissey and people yeah. like that although i don't know if you necessarily want morrissey's endorsement right now, but, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, hey, 90s morrissey was fine new morrissey's an asshole That's yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah just uh having such a profound impact from only really yeah. having released one album she also has said that she she writes music constantly and she described it she said i don't really have any desire to release it into the world i'm like a squirrel uh just collecting nuts So yeah. yeah, that's that sums her up pretty much. She's pretty nutty, in fact. Generally, so yeah, yeah. that's a good description. But I, one of my favourite things I remember trying to describe it to someone else, and there was, it was the time I think it probably wasn't about the the noughties of fashion at the time for magazines to list kind of the best ten albums of the nineties or whatever it was going to be. And she kind of got mentioned at the, at the bottom of one of these lists. And so my friend immediately thought it was like one of those albums that everyone says is great. And I really couldn't get that thing across going, well, it's, it sort of is, but it's it really isn't as well because it actually is great and it's not like anything else. It's just it's not like one of those massively trope it's not sketches of Spain by Miles Davis where like every hipster has it as well as all the people like Jazz have it. You know, it's not one of those records that like has become almost a cliche it's still a unique and special record and i i I kind of resented it when it was in a list of things that you're supposed to have (laughs) do you know what i mean this is my Um, thing yeah it was very much my thing especially as i say when i first heard it i didn't know what it was and it was such a unique experience but uh i suppose you know music in the world no one owns the sounds in the world they're they're on the ether you can't own the sound but you can definitely own the understanding you make for yourself but the way you think what you get out of it is definitely your experience isn't it that's the thing the artist doesn't even know what they've done what you what you take from it every time is is the thing yeah and i mean i'm so possessive of music even when it's huge artists who you know are global dominating um you know (laughs) those beatles boys they're mine yeah there's you know that that i think with music especially it's like something that you can have in every aspect of your life it can quite literally be the soundtrack to really um important moments or uh, help you through tough times or whatever it is and it makes you feel like you have this very special relationship with it and it's it makes me feel very protective of the music that i love and it's i feel even more like that when it's artists who aren't as well known and yeah. I do have that kind of resentment where it's like, oh, God, no, I don't want anybody else to know about this. Like, I'm glad for your success, but oh, they're mine. Yeah. No, like, I'll happily make you a cassette, as there was the fashion at the time, yes. uh, with some tracks on and go, there you go. You love this. You love this. I can, I can tell you about it. That's all right. Don't want some magazine telling you it's good because they don't know, really. They're idiots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My inverted snobbery rages hard on these occasions. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, she's... Outside of that 
one album it's really just a few songs for a soundtrack yeah and then occasional guest appearances on on other people's songs really isn't it yeah it is and I, I think i've got most of them and i have again as we all get older and music we listen to music in a different way it isn't quite the same as getting a full album like a, a track at a time you're oh, great there's a new track there and you go home and go oh, yeah that's that's a new track fine very few of them stop me in my tracks the way that first one did but i guess that's almost impossible to recreate anyway isn't it that first impression thing is always going to be a unique experience whereas it's never disappointed but it's never quite the same to hear a new one and go ah oh, except for a duet with tinder sticks called peanuts which is great and everyone should track down i'm assuming she performs live so rarely yeah have you yeah. ever had a chance to see her uh, i saw her at a not very good show at all tourist parties in um one of the seaside towns in England and it was not really her fault the noise the sound was terrible and she I mean she was hypnotic and absolutely amazing I still loved it but mm. I can't I can't categorically say it was what I wanted it to be and it was the gig of all gigs it was just uh, it was full of very noisy people who didn't shut up when she was on and the noise the actual sound on stage wasn't great but she was still amazing to be in the presence of when she did and, and the quieter the songs were the quieter the people were so that helped when yeah. she went like, when she was being the stranger and stuff I mean, it, was, it wasn't like a, a rowdy crowd. It was a music-loving crowd, but they just didn't all know she was, so they weren't listening enough. That's the problem, you yeah, know? <laughs> not yeah. for my liking. I would love to see... It's not too late. She does still play, and I do still go to her in Canada now and again, so I would love to try and get the chance to see her again in perhaps a more sympathetic setting. Yeah, she did a gig here in December of last year. Um, oh, really? So, yeah, she is around. But, yeah, ex- exactly what you're saying. Like fe- Festivals generally, I think... By their very nature, it's like, yeah. you know, there's no way that everyone is there to see every single band. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. And so the people you really want to see, maybe the people that other people want to just kind of talk through or ignore. And yeah. That, <laughs> goes even more for people who they, you know, most people have never heard of. And it, it's unfortunate because it seems like a lot of the shows that she does are, she's invited to, yeah. you know, curated festivals. And it might be a similar situation where everybody else is there to see the bigger act and she is not the focus. Um, yeah, exactly. And also, like you said, as time has gone on, the influence of music that she made has been felt in different ways. So she doesn't have perhaps to a new pair of ears. Mm-hmm. And also because she's not young anymore and young people just like young, other young young people she might not have the same impact she could have had had those people heard her 20 years ago 30 years ago whatever it was now because i guess that's it we've all heard bjork now and she's on stage being crazy and has the voice that does gymnastics it's like ah she's a bit like bjork and she well no she's not (laughs) but that's okay (laughs) yeah 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 i can imagine it not having the same effect there's a part of her that is forever in her era mm. and if you in fact there's a there's a youtube video of her on a show called i think it's called night music mm. doing when you when you know why you're happy and she's very young and she looks stunning as well she's absolutely beautiful and very haunting and just she pushes all my diva buttons in that one she just looks so like unique and glamorous mm. and old hollywood uh, sort of she's got that because uh, you know her sister is Catherine o'hara the actress who's yeah yeah in Shit's creek now and in all the um, um movies and stuff so it's, uh, she's she has that old school hollywood glamour about her anyway when she was very young and unselfconsciously beautiful <laughs> uh it, I, I guess even that it does add to the package i suppose that what you're looking at embarrassing though it is to confess and obviously i didn't see her at first i only heard her <laughs> yeah yeah see seeing her it is uh, ha- having Catherine O'Hara in my mind, like knowing yeah. <laughs> that they're related to each other, probably worked against my, like, you know, experiencing her in a, a, a neutral As way. As herself, yeah. Um, yeah, of course. Because, especially because Catherine O'Hara has a history of performing kind of campy, cabaret, yeah, um, exactly. Like yeah. comedy songs. 
Mm-hmm. And they look enough alike that um, <laughs> you, you just know, expect to suddenly do a jazz hands and <laughs> right, right. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mary Margaret O'Hara's um, kind of quirkiness mm-hmm. makes you feel almost like it's a, about to turn into comedy, yeah. but it's serious. <laughs> so, um, Any second yeah. now, the slide twenty whistles will come out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She um, performed at Le Guess Who Festival in Netherlands. It was invited by Perfume Genius a couple of years ago. And they oh, yeah. hear recordings, live recordings um, of, of her performance. And she'd said that in an interview that I read, but that was somebody interviewing the two of them together. Oh, um, right. She was saying when he invited her, she was like, oh, I hope he doesn't want me to do Miss America. And he's like, oh, yeah. no, you can do whatever you want. And there's tra- <laughs> tracks on the live recordings that are like the track title is improv and it's just kind of really discordant violin and her going (laughs) (laughs) Um, but i love it it's like it's just pure yeah uh kind of bonkers this yeah almost uh not quite primal scream but like uh you know just just guttural noise coming out of her. yeah um, and, <laughs> no, again, and also she is a she's a contrary bastard as well so that's yeah, just yeah. enjoyed all that. <laughs> yeah i wonder how uh a crowd that is uh, attracted to perfume genius would have responded to that kind of stuff but um who knows but that, that is part of it isn't it, as well i mean I, as i said before about like yoko ono and meredith monk and people like that who i heard afterwards and just didn't get the same thing from was like no that's not when i was getting from her at all because it's her i will absolutely allow her to do 20 minutes of yodeling with an out-of-tune violin that's fine by me mm-hmm. um, but if it wasn't her i probably wouldn't it's true i probably i'd probably tune out yeah if it wasn't her doing it i think but even so she uh, also did a cover of pennies from heaven oh yeah it's like she's singing in quite a straight traditional kind of jazz vocal way yeah but again uh-huh. there's this kind of discordant violin <laughs> underneath it and it sounds amazing it's like really the contrast is really amazing and it, it means cool. that she's kind of putting her her stamp on this standard oh i'll try i haven't heard that one i'm gonna track that one down i look forward to that one thank you that's kind of like youtube's now the, the equivalent of those great digging record shops i guess isn't it it just yeah it says oh and there's that oh and there's this one and there's this thing and some of them are rubbish and some of them are great yeah <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, I think her performance style has varied a lot over the years. As I was saying on the Miss America album, like sometimes she's singing in quite a straightforward, almost folk sounding way that's like very pure, very clean. And she has this beautiful voice. And then sometimes the vocal gets a bit tougher and more unusual drifts further away from a kind of straightforward style and that's the same in her live performance that it feels like it kind of goes all over the place and she's she likes to improvise she likes to kind of make things up on the spot when she's performing live too so it's like you don't quite know what you're gonna get and again a few a few of those youtube videos of what she's doing that it doesn't quite come across in the same way i think if i was there i would have felt that a lot more than i'm getting from this probably on someone's filmed on someone's phone not best quality and her jerkiness and her apparent out of timeness probably doesn't always come across if you're not seeing it in the best environment you know what i mean like i mm-hmm. think um so some of the ones i've seen i've like, gone like oh okay it's not quite can't really get that vibe from that one but, but i know i know it would be like if i was there because i know how good she is but that's actually just coming across as a bit weird <laughs> yeah. and that's interesting too i think it's it's what you know of an artist you try to impose on them, don't you? Whereas if I'd saw someone else doing that, maybe I wouldn't have been so generous. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. I mean, that's something as, as an artist oneself, 
It's something you definitely do learn when you're watching someone so unique. There's not that much you can take from them, you think. Because when you try and do it, you just think a bad impression of them, and that's rubbish. Mm-hmm. Like, nobody wants to hear me do my sort of half-strangled yodel version of a song. It's not what I do, and it wouldn't sound good. But then, in the interest in unusual time signatures, or playing against the time, or playing in two time signatures at once, or when I choose to repeat a phrase, when I choose to make a lyric not be about the meaning of the lyric, but about the sounds of it phonetically, those are things I've got from her, definitely. You know, so it's because it's so steeped in me. Mm-hmm. The stuff does it, it comes out anyway. Whereas yeah. I think on the few occasions I was sort of openly letting myself do a little impression of her, it was a bad choice. <laughs> I should not have done that because <laughs> mm. I'm not her, and, yeah. and no one else is either. So I think it's it's interesting that the the influence of someone is also more about the core musicality and not just about the apparent strangeness or the apparent quirkiness you know those things are surface and i think it speaks of how genuine she is that i can still take away a lot of musicality from what she does without having to slide up and down the octaves and pick up and spin and stuff right right and the way that influence works best with music is exactly what you said you don't want it to be that somebody is copying an artist that they love it's like listening to the music understanding what stands out about it, what's unusual about it, and taking those elements and applying them to your own work. And I think I have. And but also with her, it's such a performance based thing. And if you haven't got her voice, it doesn't have the same impact. I remember again another interview with I think it was Elvis Costello talking not about her, but about probably about some jazz record, saying his favourite thing about this record, why he loved this record, was every time he listens to it, he hears exactly the same thing. Now that's mm. also him being contrary, because usually people say every time I listen to it, I hear something new. Mm. That's what people often say. So he's A being contrary and just going, I hear exactly the same thing. But B, I totally get that with Miss America because it's such a performance based thing and the atmosphere it makes is so perfect. When I put it on, it's exactly the same thing again. Because I don't hear a new, a, a new buried instrument because they're all so clear and so present. Mm-hmm. And the atmosphere it makes is exactly what it is. So I kind of do hear the same thing exactly every time. And I love it for it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, like, it, does, it doesn't, it, I guess it just grows over time because everything does. But musically, what I heard that first time is kind of all there to be accessed again tomorrow yeah. if I wanted to. Yeah. yeah. And as you said earlier like there are maybe certain elements of it that feel like they are of their time but yeah as a whole it still feels very fresh and feels like something that somebody could have recorded you know yesterday yeah Um, absolutely so that element as well that it's like the the clarity the intentionality every song feels really fully formed and being able to come back to it that it's not just that it feels like the same thing every time but that it feels fresh it feels like maybe at least to me it feels like listening to it the first time every time Um, yeah i I agree it's like before i think that's a performance thing because obviously the musicians were excellent as well that's the other thing it wasn't like a jamming bar band it was some amazing musicians who could play in seven eight and five four against each other and all that clever stuff and you don't even hear it you don't hear show off musicianship you hear very sparse and exactly correct positioning mm-hmm. of sounds, which you can only do if you're really good, I guess. <laughs> that's the thing. Yeah. That's, what the good, that's what those good jazzers can do. But they're not wobbling. They never get in the way of her. She is definitely the star. She is in the middle of all of it. Yeah. And especially when she multitracks herself, I do love it when there's lots of her at once. That's, that's a brilliant thing. <laughs> it's also, it just, just does not sound like an album coming from someone who 
is is not going to be interested in doing it again. <laughs> uh, you know, it sounds so like fresh and like the, there's so much energy and yes. this vitality in every song. Um, and then just knowing that it was like such a tortured experience that she never really wanted to, to repeat it. Um, it's it's sad. Um, it is sad. I mean, the Apartment Hunting soundtrack has quite a lot of songs on it. It's quite pretty good. There's one, it's called I Don't Care, and that's one of their best songs. So that's mm-hmm. worth looking out just for that song in particular. But it is ultimately a soundtrack, and it's like half instrumental and a couple of things she's not on and stuff as well. So. Um, she also <laughs> said in one of the interviews that I read that she paints. Um, yes. Do you, do you know if she exhibits work or if it's just like that's something she does privately? Yeah, I think I believe it's privately. There's a couple of um, do you know the singer called Jane Sibbery? No. She's Canadian Canadian singer called Jane Sibbery, and she is friends with Mary Margaret. She is equally bonkers, um, <laughs> though she's probably less inclined to be pleased. I think Jane Sibbery might have like some genuine mental health issues, so I should be less flippant about that. She is uh, someone I've toured with once, and was a wonderful musician, but quite hard work to be around. And she's big pals with Mary Margaret, and she kind of runs a web shop selling Mary Margaret's like old albums and stuff. So she's kind of trying to keep her in the world, which is a very noble and good thing to do. And go, you can still buy this music if you come via this direct artist shop and stuff. so Jane Sibby runs this shop and on there there was some artwork that seemed to be by Mary Margaret Tahara but it was so um, because Jane Sibby is quite a, a, an abstract person it was quite hard to be sure uh, what mm. you're looking at um, <laughs> so I'm not quite sure I do know our album cover Miss America was painted by her and the painting mm. on the inner sleeve was one of her paintings of a lady drinking wine so those things are hers but no I don't know if there's if they're in the world, because Jane Sibley's too mysterious for me to work out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it seems like outside of live performance, um, she's not really putting art out into the world anymore. It's like making music privately, making art, yeah. painting privately. Um, yeah, it seems like she's pretty satisfied with that. So Yeah, know. which is a brilliant thing, isn't it? What a fantastic way. It, obviously, I don't know how she's financially keeping afloat that's no one's business but her own anyway but yeah. there's um there's the singer nico case uh, you know nico case american mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Singer, um she's done one track with her and i've met nico a couple of times because she knows carolyn mark who's a friend of mine a canadian singer songwriter they were in a band together um and they were telling me about some st- stories about mary margaret having lots of parties where she lives because she doesn't like to socialize too much so she kind of hosts a halloween party or a Chris or a thanksgiving party mm-hmm. and a lot of musicians come around and jam and do stuff and so she's clearly quite community minded she's not like she's not a, a, a shutaway or anything she's clearly someone who is known to the musical community at least in canada but again there was no i didn't like to ask like how what she actually does all day <laughs> you know, it's yeah. not my business but they sounded the, the picture they painted was of somebody who engages with their community and is active and liked member of the, of the town sort of thing rather than being the image i would have probably got knowing she did one album and disappeared, being mm-hmm. like this recluse like Mark Hollis was or something who just disappeared forever. It's like, no, no, she's in the world and that's great, isn't it? If you're satisfied with your life in that way, what a yeah. fantastic way to be. Yeah, and the impression that I get, you know, when you hear of someone having a such a, an horrific um, experience creating an album that they never want to do it again, you think like, <laughs> oh, they were so traumatized and just like ran to live in a hut in the mountains. Yeah. Ever. But yeah, exactly. it sounds more like she just went, ugh, this is, I, I don't want to do this anymore, and just went to Toronto and is like happy, you know, just hanging out, and that's been her life. Yeah. Um, I like the sound, yeah, she would make that sound, ugh, that's exactly yeah. what she would do. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. <laughs> so, good for her, you know, yes, just, yes. Wh- whatever makes her happy, I think. There's <sighs> almost a song in that, indeed. <laughs> One of yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Um, that is amazing. So, yeah, I feel like that is a... Um, we have discussed. Pretty, we have discussed that. <laughs> comprehensive overview. Um, <laughs> any last thoughts? Any... Uh, last thoughts, last thoughts. Um, is, I, I would say it is not too late for her to do another record. She could, maybe. It's not impossible. Yeah. She's probably got stuff to choose from, and I would like it to be one, because I think there's, there are always there are rumors that she has that Virgin Records who signed her are sat on loads of unreleased stuff because that executive didn't like it <laughs> and said, mm-hmm. this is awful. Yeah. Uh, and so there's tons, in theory, there's tons of music she hasn't put out in the world. And I wouldn't like it to be the case if it was, you know, we had to wait until she passed away to hear it. If, if it's going to come out, she should curate that and make it something she's proud of. But maybe it just never will. It doesn't have to. Yeah. As we said, bully for her. She's done what she wanted to do. And that's great. As a definitive statement go, it's a bloody good one. So that'll do. <laughs> yeah. And it is, I guess, it makes me think of someone like J.D. Salinger or something where, yeah. you know, his whole life, everybody knew that he was still writing and it was like, oh, someday maybe something will come out. And it's like, mm. nope, nope. He just <laughs> kept it for himself. He was yeah. creating stuff, but it was, wasn't was for public consumption. And sorry, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly that. So it could, it could uh, yeah. go either way. Who knows? You know, if she's, knows? she's poking her head out every once in a while to do a gig, so maybe someday the spirit will move her and she'll uh, release some more music as well. Yeah, we never know. Yes. Um, so, if people who are listening to this would like to find yes. out more about you and your music, how oh, do they go much. about that? Um, I am called Paul Mosley. Mosley is spelled M-O-S-L-E-Y, and I am on the internet. PaulMosley.com <laughs> is the website, which I don't really use very much because no one does anymore. Facebook is Paul Mosley Songs. I'm on the Spotify, I'm on the Apple Music, I'm on etc. So I'm out there. I have a new album called You're Going to Die, coming out soon, <laughs> um, <laughs> which doesn't sound particularly like Mary Mappetelli, but I'm, I'm very proud of it. It's probably the best thing I've done, and I've done lots. Um, it has some guests on it. One of them is a singer called Josie and Clark who won the Folk Awards, the BBC Folk Awards last year, I think. My friend Jack Harris, who's a folk musician, is on there, and he's sort of in Emmaus Mitchell's gang and stuff. So there's lots of people and members of Florence and the Machine and Feist's band. And so it's okay, I can name drop for until Christmas, if you like, <laughs> if that helps people buy my album. Uh, but basically, it's, it's, still, it's still my album. It's still not yes. about me. <laughs> I allowed them to be involved. Uh, <laughs> very kind of you. Yes, very generous. <laughs> Um, but yes, yeah, so You're Going to Die is a new album by Four Mostly, available soon, I think about October. And uh, yeah, I'm on the internet. Have a look. Wonderful. Cool. Well, thank you so much. This was so fun. And it's like, it, oh, it, it, um, I have a lot of experience with people talking about things that are, um, I, I'm not going to say obvious, but um, <laughs> a bit more uh, mainstream, you know, right. Uh, dominating cultural forces and it's nice <laughs> to have someone who's a little less known who uh, oh, good. can actually learn about so uh, oh, yeah. thank you viva la fringes that's yes. where we live and we like this <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but well, total pleasure to talk to you thank yes, you so much same yeah take care thank you cheers now bye bye what a great guy right thanks again to paul for chatting with me Please seek out and download and stream his music and keep your little eyes peeled for the new album, which is coming soon. Okay, ready for the recommendations? Of course you are. Firstly, Ready or Not is a movie, and it's out right now, and you should go see it because it's fucking ace. It's funny, and it's exciting, and smart, and exactly what I needed on a Friday night. The basic plot is that a couple gets married, and then the groom's family force the bride to play a game with them, which involves them trying to kill her. Standard, right? 
It's a horror movie, so there's some gross stuff in it, so just be prepared if you've got a weak stomach when it comes to gross stuff. But if you like horror movies with a lot of funny stuff in them, you'll love this. Also, one of my biggest problems with a lot of horror movies is irrational behavior. We all know the feeling of screaming either literally or figuratively at the screen when a character in a horror movie makes a decision that's objectively terrible. Why are you going into the basement by yourself with the lights off, Dave? But Ready or Not allows its characters, especially the lead, played by the brilliant Samara Weaving, to make logical decisions right from the start. I cannot express to you how much I appreciated that. So go see Ready or Not, it's so much fun, and there aren't really any other movies to see right now because August is the dumping ground for all the direct studios want to get rid of. Also, you need to have Patty Harrison's comedy in your life. She makes me laugh so hard that I feel like I might have ruptured an organ. A very good jumping off point is a bit that she did about writing a song for Dua Lipa. I have watched it about 900 times and it never stops being hilarious. Like, so hilarious that I can't cope and I need to take a nap afterwards. I am so obsessed with her. Please seek her out. Okay. There you go. I've given you everything you need, and now you can spread your wings and fly free, little bird. Please remember that no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, you should drop everything immediately and follow me on social media. And then you might as well leave a lovely review and rate the show five stars while you're at it, right? Thanks in advance. Enjoy your week. Be good. Until next time. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.